I want to talk today about um, Jesus' will. People say to me all the time, what do I, what's God's will? Will God? Will God? How do I know he will? And it really helps if you get the right book of the Bible. If you've got your Bibles there, turn to Matthew chapter 6. And I'm just going to f- jump through a few things in Matthew. <clears throat> but in Matthew 6 to 8, there's a lot of Jesus' will. And he talks a lot about how he will. Let's just, let's just pray as you turn there. Father, we uh, thank you that you are a, a willing and a God who really loves us, who wants to pour out your best upon us, wants to bless us, wants good things for us. And I pray today, Father, that you will inspire us by your Holy Spirit, you'll bring revelation into our lives. Holy Spirit, come and be present here, that we will experience the fullness of heaven that your word will be alive and active in us. Pray, come Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Jesus will. People face situations in life, they face situations where they question whether God will provide, they question whether God will heal, and you, you go to situations where you're praying with people and, and it's, you know, they believe, I fully believe that God can do something, but we don't know if God will do something. You know, we know God can heal, and we read of what Jesus did at so many times while he was on earth. We read through the Bible, and we know of people who have been healed, but we're not sure if God will heal us. We read of miraculous provision, you know, um, when it came time to pay the taxes, Jesus said to Peter, go fishing, and he pulls in this fish and pulls a coin out of its mouth, and it's enough to pay Jesus' taxes and Peter's taxes. Do you wish you could pay your tax like that? Just go fishing and drop a fish off at the tax office. Here's my tax. You know, and, and there's all these stories, and we know that God provides and what He says about it, but we're not sure if He will do it for us. We know that God can, but there's a question of whether He will. Will He heal me? Will He provide me for me? Will He give me this breakthrough? What's God's will? Matthew, from about chapter 6 to chapter 8, really displays God's will. Because we actually have a God who is willing. You see, we, we have this historical inbred thing that says that God is out there somewhere that we know he is willing to save us, but everything beyond that is up for negotiation. There's this inbred thing that's got somewhere into the church that says, you know, God might, he might not, you know, it's whether you've been good enough or whether he's trying to teach you something or he's trying to do something with you. And, And we have this This mentality that if there's a challenge in life, it came from God. 
And that's actually not true. And it's never been true. You see, God made the earth. He put all the good stuff on it. He made the whole universe, put all the good stuff in it. And he said what? It's good. And then he gets Adam, and he puts Adam in there. And he says to Adam, you've got all authority over it all. Name the birds, name the animals, name the fish, give everything a name. Now the first challenge that Adam had was he was alone. So what did God do? He created a nightmare. No, no, he created a woman, sorry. (laughs) My wife's not in here. (laughs) When you see me next week with my black eye. (laughs) He, He saw the situation, he said, it's not good, and so he gave him a companion. Someone to go through life with. And when he had done that and he put them together and he put them in the garden and everything was good, God rested. Because there was nothing else for God to do. He wasn't there to say, I need to throw a challenge to Adam's way to make sure he's strong and I need to push Eve a little to make sure she's strong and that they really love me and you know. He didn't do any of that. The first challenge that came their way came from the devil. It didn't come from God. And that's how it's always been, and that's how it'll always be. God is not sitting up in heaven going, do they really love me? He knows you better than you know yourself. Anyone here know how many hairs they got in their head? Except for Ken. Does anybody know how many hairs they've got in their head? But God does. He knows more about you than you know about you. So he doesn't need to test you to see if you'll be faithful. He already knows. Now he says that trials and temptations will come your way, but be strong. And we have this strange thing that he's up there saying that and saying, here's the trials and temptations, and by the way, I'm on your side. And then he runs back the other side to to push us, and then he runs back this side to encourage us. It's a really mixed up view, isn't it? It doesn't make sense when you really look at it, does it? And yet, we embrace this as our life thinking. Trials and temptations don't come from God, they come from the devil. They come because we live in a fallen world. God's view is, you have overcome it. So what is the will of God for your life? Let's have a look. Matthew chapter 6, verse 30, it's on the screen if you um, don't have your Bible. If you have your Bible, it's really helpful to go through and read it. But he says, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today 
is, and tomorrow it's gone. Will he not much more clothe you? Will he? Of course he will. If he's going to take care of the grass outside, which could be gone tomorrow, won't he take much better care of you? Pretty straightforward, yeah? So if you go on to verse 32, he says, Therefore, don't worry. Saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Because these are the things that the Gentiles or the world seeks. These are the things the world say, you've got to have all these things. If you get some professor in and say, what are the basics of life? They say, food, clothing, shelter. Because that's the world system is based around that. And that you can't get people to go any further until they've got those things. But we're not on this. And God knows you need those things because he made you. And he knows you better than you know yourself. So you don't have to worry about these things. He says, listen to me. Seek first me, my kingdom, and my righteousness or my way of living. Put me first in your life and I'll add all these things to you. In other words, don't put your food first, don't put your clothing first, don't put what you're going to drink first, put me first. I think it's funny, people say to me, I don't have time for a quiet time. I don't have time to to sit down with God and read the Bible and pray. And I always want to ask him, do you have time to eat? Do you have time to get dressed? Because God's actually saying, put me above these things and I'll take care of them for you. That's the will of God. He wants to clothe you. He wants to feed you. He wants to bless you. That's his will. Matthew 7 verse 7 says, you can ask and what? It will be given. That's Jesus' will. That if you seek, you will find. And if you knock, it will be opened. For who? For everyone. Is anyone here not an everyone? We are all individuals. About a quarter of the room got that. But is anyone here not an everyone? We're all everyone, aren't we? It says everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. Everyone who knocks, it'll be open because that's the will of God. This is Jesus speaking. Verse 11 says, If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? What Jesus is trying to say in these passages is, whatever you ask, I will give because I want good things for you. You don't have to worry about life. Just seek me first and I will take care of you. I will provide for you. 
Then he goes on to chapter 8 where he adds more wills. The man says, Jesus, are you willing to clean me, to heal me? And he says, I'm willing. Be cleansed. Chapter 8, verse 7. Jesus said, I will come and heal him. Chapter 8, verse 17, sums it all up where he quotes the Old Testament and he says that Jesus himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. So when it comes to provision, we see in chapter 6 and chapter 7 that Jesus said, I will. I will provide everything you need. Paul picks it up in Philippians. He says, God will provide all that you need according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Not according to your riches, not according to the world's riches, but according to God's riches. So this is God's just going to provide. He's going to provide abundantly. Just seek him first. That's the only condition on provision. Is that you seek him first and choose to live his way. And when it comes to healing in chapter 8, Jesus said time and again, I am willing, I am willing, I am willing, I am willing. There was no time where God said, I am not willing. There is no time that Jesus says, you know, someone comes and he says, I'm sorry, I'm not going to heal you. You know, Joe Blow walks up, no, you're not good enough, Joe, because I know what you did. I saw you yesterday. You were being nasty to your brother. I'm not going to heal you. Jesus never did that. In fact, salvation was never a criteria for Jesus to heal. We have this twisted thought that we have to be right before God will move in our lives. That when sickness comes, it must be God punishing us because we sinned. Or if we don't have enough, it's God punishing us because we've done something wrong. This is not how God operates. You can never, ever be righteous by yourself. You can never, ever be good enough by yourself for God to do anything in your life. If your righteousness was the criteria, we might as well just go home now. Because I don't know about you, but I sinned this week. I know it's hard to believe. <laughs> just take a deep breath. I can tell you all about it. You know, I had to deal with some stuff this week, and I got a little stressed about it, and I got a little angry. And I took my anger out on members of my family. Did they deserve it? Probably, but you know. <laughs> That's not the point. No, they didn't really. And so I stepped into unrighteousness. I didn't do what I should have done. But you know what? God's not sitting up there going, that's it, Phil. You're done. I'm cutting off the supply line. 
You're not good enough. That's not how God sees you. It doesn't matter what your sin is. He's not looking at you going, you're not good enough. He already knows you're not good enough. That's why he gave us Jesus. Yeah, I was watching, um, actually I was reading an article and they are talking about how, sort of a story and how we come into church and you know, we come in and we know that we're a sinner. We know that we've done things wrong, that our lives are a mess without God and, and we get this revelation that Jesus died just for us. And we receive his grace and his mercy, his forgiveness, and, and, you know, and he lifts that sin off, and we understand that we are right before God. And it's really awesome. And then churches often become a club of those who are righteous and people who come in who, who were in the same state that we were in, we reject them because they're not good enough. Because we've forgotten. Or is it maybe that we remember? And that when others come in, it shows us who we were and maybe even who we are. That we have failings and shortcomings in our lives. By yourself, you can never be perfect. You can never be good enough for God to move in your life. But God still loves you and chooses to move anyway. You see, he died on the cross for us while you were still a sinner. He offered you the power of healing while you were still a sinner. There's actually nothing you can do that will be good enough for God to move in your life. The only thing you can do is freely accept his love and forgiveness. And so when it comes to God providing and God bringing healing into your life and doing miraculous things, you actually only have to ask because Jesus has already done it. You see... Does anyone have trouble believing that they're saved? No? Does anyone struggle when they're sick to believing that they're healed? Yeah? Let me tell you something. Let this sink in. You know how we don't struggle to believe we're saved? Because we accept it. Because the church teaches, doesn't it? You know, if you... Accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you confess your sin, then you're saved. And when you mess up, it's like Peter when he messed up and Jesus said, I just need to wash your feet. You're still clean, you just get a little bit of dirt on you from time to time with life. But if you come to God and confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sin, cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So we don't struggle so much with that. But then when it comes to healing, we struggle. Maybe it's because we've been told. You know, is, is salvation sort of an inward thing and you can't see it? Whereas healing is a physical thing and you can see it. Because you see, the word salvation comes from a word called sozo. It's translated from the word sozo. And that word actually doesn't just mean spiritual healing. It also means physical, emotional, and mental healing. 
So when Jesus died on the cross and offered salvation, he offered you spiritual healing, but he also offered you physical, emotional, and mental healing. Because the whole context of what Jesus was doing was to make you whole. Because God doesn't see the point in you being spiritually healed if you're not physically healed or emotionally healed or mentally healed. And they can be a little bit like salvation, spiritual salvation. You know, it says, it says that we're, the word Bible uses is called sanctified. And that means you're made right with God. And it says that we are sanctified. We are made right with God but we're also being made right with God. In other words, when God looks at you, he sees you in perfection because he sees Jesus. He looks at you through the lens of Jesus. Just like if, you know, we've got these lights here. Now behind those lights is a white, hot filament. But on the front of some of these ones here, it's just clear, so the white shines through. But on this one over here, or like on one of the ones shining on the drums back there, this one's got a yellow shine over the front. That one's got a red or a blue shine over the front. It's the same thing behind it, but what's shining through changes the color of the light. Make sense? It's the same when Jesus looks at you. It's the same God looking at you, but he doesn't look at you as you. He looks at you through Jesus. And that changes the color of what he sees. And he doesn't see your sin because he looks through Jesus. He sees you in perfection. So even when you do sin, he still sees you through Jesus. You can get excited about that later. <laughs> so when you go home today... You know, and you think, oh, gee, I got really frustrated with that person, or I got really angry, or I did this thing I shouldn't have done, or that thing I shouldn't have done, and you want to condemn yourself, you need to stop looking at yourself as the devil sees you, and stop looking at yourself as the world sees you, and start looking at yourself like God sees you. Because when he sees you, he sees you as pure and holy and right before him, and deserving of every blessing of heaven. That's how God sees you. Okay, go home, listen to the recording, and get excited in your house, all right? Because I don't know about you, but that's pretty exciting. You are no longer a lowly worm sinner who keeps watching those things or seeing those things or doing those things. You are a holy, righteous, pure man or woman of God. And so when God sees you like that, he offers you his healing. He offers you his blessing. He offers you his provision because he's looking through Jesus every time. Do you think if Jesus was sick, he'd deserve to be healed? No, no, that's not possible, so don't go there. But he would, wouldn't he? We are co-heirs, the Bible says, with Christ. I had some PowerPoints. We've lost those. So don't worry about them. We've changed tack completely. Have fun, connect group leaders, with my notes. <laughs> but we're co-heirs with Christ. What's a co-heir? 
What does that mean? See, we sort of think, and when we think co-heirs, we think Christ us. That maybe, you know, some of the blessing will flow onto Christ and we might get a little bit that drops onto us. That's not how God says, that's not how the Father sees you. Jesus, you. Whatever Jesus has the right to, you have the right to. This is not blasphemy, this is Bible. To say that we're anything less is blasphemy. Because it says we are co-heirs with Christ. Jesus is described as the high priest, isn't he? Peter describes us as high priests. In fact, he says we are a royal priesthood. Is Jesus the King of kings and Lord of lords? says that we reign with Christ. So we have the same authority as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's why we're a royal priesthood. So tell me why you shouldn't be provided for. Tell me why you shouldn't be healed. Because it's actually a part of your salvation right. You see, all these things came about not because you earned them, not because you deserve them, not because of anything you've ever done or ever will do. Because I'm telling you right now, you're going to keep sinning. Sorry about the depressing news. <laughs> but you're, still, you're going to mess up. You're going to drop your bottle in the middle of the church. You're going to do something wrong. Because we live in a fallen world where there's temptation and we're being made right. And the idea is that you sin less and less as we grow more and more like Christ. But you're going to, you know, I, I love the, the, one of the Facebook ads is like, you know, saying, you know, it's saying that, that church is full of hypocrites is like going to the gym and saying fat people don't belong. I love that. I mean, you don't go to the gym when there's, there's someone overweight and they're exercising and you're going, you don't belong here. You're not fit enough to be in the gym. <laughs> it's the same as saying in church, you know, it's full of hypocrites. Yeah, they all go out and they sin. Yeah, we do, don't we? Life dishes up stuff and sometimes we miss it. Now, this is not an excuse to go and miss it. Let's get that clear. We're supposed to be made more and more like Jesus. You see, the whole healing side and the prophetic side and all that sort of stuff is actually the baby stuff. That's the milk. The real meat is the character stuff. The love, the joy, the peace. Yeah, they all sound nice, don't we? Then we hit patience. <laughs> Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness, and dare we say it, self-control. <laughs> They're the hard stuff, aren't they? But you know what? You actually already have all those things in you. You actually are already those things. Because they are the fruits of who? Holy Spirit. And where does Holy Spirit live? Inside you. It's just a matter of the you surrendering 
to the Holy Spirit in you. But God doesn't see you as lacking in self-control. He doesn't see you as lacking in patience. He sees you as a patient, controlled, joy-filled, loving, awesome person. And there's nothing you could do to convince him otherwise. You know that? There is no sin so bad that he will see you so differently. There is nothing you can do that will change his perspective of you. Because you're a royal priesthood. You're a co-heir with Christ. You are seated in heavenly places with him. So suddenly things like healing become easy, don't they? God's provision become really easy because there you're right before him as much as they are Jesus' right. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? So when you walk out of this place, it doesn't matter what the world throws at you. It doesn't change who you are. You are the almighty God, son and daughter. Guess what? So is Jesus. Isn't that incredible? Jesus is the almighty God's son. You are the almighty God's son and daughter. You have the same rights as Jesus before the Father. In the same way that my children have the same rights as each other before me. If I went, walked out the door and died, my wife would be upset with me and resurrect me, but... <laughs> if I died and they read my will, each of my children would be equal. In the same way, we have the will and the testament of God. That's why it's called the New Testament. See, the will and the testament comes into being when? When a person dies, right? Is this Jesus' will and testament? Did he die? Therefore, it's been enacted. It's true. And we just read what his will was. His will is be healed. His will is I will provide. His will is ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. I love the way that God doesn't put any limits. His only limit is seek me first. Walk in my way. Yes, I know you'll mess up. It's okay, I'm not seeing that. Just confess it, it's gone. And walk with me. It's the ultimate love book. I want to encourage you, change how you see yourself. See yourself through the lens of Jesus Christ. Because that's how God sees you. How Jesus is, is how you are. All the time. Not some of the time, but all the time. 
So that thing that keeps popping up in your head, that Satan keeps reminding you of, that's not God reminding you. If you've confessed it, God doesn't know about it. I remember once messing up and, and, you know, sitting before God going, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry about now, later. I sat on this edge of my bed and I was like, oh, God, I'm so sorry. He said, for what? I said, oh, I'm so sorry I did that. Did you? Got no record. God doesn't have a record. He doesn't understand things like habitual sin, things that we call these things. You know, I keep doing this, and God's up there going, do you? Because he has no record. All he sees is Jesus. All he sees is Jesus. And we beat ourselves up, and the problem is when we beat ourselves up, what do we do? We go and sin again. And then we beat ourselves up, and so we feel unworthy, and so when, how you feel is how you act, right? Because how you feel... Focus on it enough, it's how you start to think. And therefore you go back in and you keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. And we get into this cycle of what we call habitual sin. It's just because we're seeing ourselves wrong. We need to see ourselves. When you mess up, confess your sin and then start looking at yourself. How does Jesus see me? How does the Father see me? He's not sitting up there with a great big stick. Ah, it's time to punish you. All he sees is Jesus. And he's not allowed to punish Jesus because Jesus has done nothing wrong. You know what? Neither of you. Because it doesn't exist in God's book. The only place it exists is in Satan's book. I don't know about you, but I don't like reading his book. He can read it in hell all he likes while he burns. And so if you're getting reminded, it's not God. If you haven't confessed it, maybe the Holy Spirit bringing conviction so you can deal with it. But once you've dealt with it, it's no longer in God's book. It's not him. So you can tell the devil to go away. As the old saying goes, when he reminds you of your past, just remind him of his future. (laughs) He'll get the message called resisting the devil, and he will flee. Know who you are in Christ. God sees you through the filter of Jesus Christ. That's who you are. Are we okay? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for such an awesome group of people. Lord, I thank you that we look like Jesus. Lord, that we act like Jesus, that we talk like Jesus, that when people look at us, they see Jesus, because that's how you see us. That, Lord, when we look in the mirror, we see Jesus. Father, I stand against any spirits that would come and bring a challenge and a conviction that is not of you that come and remind us of the sins that have happened in our past. We rebuke them in the name of Jesus. Father, we confess our sin to you right now in the name of Jesus. 
And we ask your forgiveness and your wholeness upon our lives. And we make a decision together right now to choose you. To choose to start seeing ourselves as you see us. And to live our lives as though we were Jesus. Living our lives. That you be glorified. I just want to ask everyone's got their heads bowed and their eyes closed. You're sitting here and you haven't given your life over to Jesus. He's not your Lord and Savior. You're not living for Him. You're trying to live your life in your strength. And you've never given your life over to Jesus. And you're going, I need to do this. I don't understand all of it, but I want Jesus in my life. If that's you, just put your hand up right now. Everyone's got their heads bowed and their eyes closed. And just say, I want Jesus in my life. Saying, I I need his forgiveness. I need to be free of my sin and my pain. I want to be free of the things in my life that I'm holding on to. Just ask you to slip your hand up now. I'm not going to ask you to come out the front. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want you saying, I want to be in the prayer that you're going to pray. Slip your hand up now, saying, pray for me. Thank you. Maybe you've been walking with God and you've walked away and you need to get things right with Him. You need to just heal that relationship and be sure you're walking with Him. If that's you, just slip your hand up now, saying, I want to be sure I'm walking with Jesus. Maybe you're not sure where you stand with God. You can be sure. You're saying, I want to be sure. I need him in my life. If any of those three apply to you right now, just, well, everyone's got their heads bowed, their eyes closed. Just slip your hand up saying, please pray for me. I want to be in that prayer. I want Jesus in my life. Just a few more seconds. All right, let's pray together with the heads bowed. Father, I thank you. You are awesome. I thank you that you love me. I give my life afresh to Jesus Christ. I confess my sin before you. I receive your forgiveness and choose from this day forward to live for Jesus Christ. Fill me, Holy Spirit, afresh that God may be glorified through my life. In Jesus' name, amen.